this season of Thanksgiving and direct our hearts toward the anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah, this Advent, this this invitation to adventure with you. Lord, we, we turn our hearts in your direction to be thankful yet again for the great mercy you Thank you for being among us this morning, for being with us. I want to continue to lift up our congregation, those who are unwell, who are ill, under the weather, Lord, with the seasonal things and the ongoing pandemic things and then with the struggles of life and health that come with, with age and some that just come with Continue to give them courage in the face of difficult times. That you will continue to give them strength to have the will to rise each day, even even when sometimes it is so very difficult. And Lord, as we do, you bring always to the healing touch of your hand. We are grateful, so grateful. Science, the gifts that you've given us, medicine, perfections, hospitals, procedures, we welcome those as miracles of their own kind. And yet, ultimately, we are, we are resting you. We trust you. We know that you are the source of all of our need. And we ask that it will not be lost to those among us who are suffering. And Lord, this morning, as we look through these scriptures, Lord, I invite all of us to turn our attention toward the sickness of sin and the needs of death and the wonder of your great gift to us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the ability to worship and praise you. All right, friends, so we're kicking off a four-week series on Advent. Now, uh, some of you may come from traditions where Advent is a pretty big deal, a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of ceremony, um, multicolored candles, and we've done some of those things in the past as well. Um, we're still at our core Baptist, and these things sneak up on us, and we're like, oh, hey, yeah, that thing's happening. Same thing happens with Ash Wednesday. Some of you have celebrated Ash Wednesday, and every year about four days before Ash Wednesday, we go, you know, it would really be cool if we had some ashes, but, you know, this the, the ceremony that goes along with the ashes has to start much earlier than three days before uh, Ash Wednesday. So, but my apologies for that. Uh, we don't have a lot of pomp and circumstance to go with our Advent kickoff today, but we do have the Word of God, and we're going to go there. And uh, today I want to talk with you about the time period before the arrival of Christ and the idea of hope, the hope that those who did not enjoy what we enjoy as our knowledge and faith in Christ, the story that we have of his life, of his fulfillment of prophecy, of his uh, payment for our sin and his substitution for our righteous punishment and giving us his righteousness instead so that we may live freely and righteous before a holy God even though we still stumble and that he purchased with that for us the gift, the promise of eternal life with him and with one another for all time in the world. What a great gift that he has given to us. But there was a day when the Bible says the people walked in darkness. If you want to go with me to John chapter 1, 
John chapter 1, one of my favorite passages of scripture. I try not to trip over anything today. I have this light in my face, so I can't see anything but that. This maybe wasn't well planned. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a time. Now, this refers back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is where we learn one of those clues that we have that Jesus himself is God. He's not a part of God. He's not a God. He's not an expression of God or a personality of God. He is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And through that Word, that spoken Word, of Jesus Christ, everything that was made was made. He was the creator. And so when we read Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is Jesus created the heavens and the earth. But there was a time in those days, all through the Old Testament, when the presence of God was not made manifest to humanity in the way that we enjoy today. In fact, even then, those who lived in the time of Christ, as we talked about through our series talking about the Holy Spirit, didn't enjoy the same communion with God that we today as Christians enjoy. There was a time when there was just one small point of light, really, that the people could go to. So Frank, hit me right here. I think I'm in the right spot. And that was the prophet of God. Through the prophet or through the chosen one, we see it early in the scriptures through personalities like Noah, Moses, Abraham, Jacob. Those who are speaking with God and speaking on behalf of God. But the people themselves must have an intermediary. God has not yet allowed his presence to be in such a way since the fall in the garden where humanity can be alongside of and in the presence of God except a few chosen. Now remember before the fall it says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden every day. But when sin came, it broke that relationship. And God removed himself from his proximity to humanity because of their sin. And even in the early days, we would see things like this. Jason, let's go to the passage in, I think, Isaiah is where I want to go. I know I gave you a ton of scripture this morning. And I don't think that we're going to look at all of those. But we'll see. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and the nations, that the nations might tremble at your presence. This is a picture of the way the people in the Old Testament especially pictured the presence of God. Remember, we go back to the story of, of uh, Moses. He encounters God in the burning bush that is not consumed by fire. But no one else is there to see that. He becomes the mouthpiece of God before Pharaoh, telling him to let God's people go. And, and he refuses. Pharaoh refuses again and again and again. And eventually God brings the plague of death upon the nation of Egypt. 
Pharaoh relents and lets God's people go. They go out into the desert, and there still, there's no temple. There's not yet a tabernacle. There's not yet a place called the Holy of Holies. There's still, there's not yet this thing called the Ark of the Covenant that we all learn so much about from the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It doesn't exist yet. It's just Moses. Who, as they're in the desert, wandering in circles around this mountain called, came to be known as the Mountain of the Lord, they would say to Moses when they were in distress, go to the mountain and meet with God and come back to tell us what he has said. And Moses would go. He would be in the presence of God. God would speak to him. And the Bible says that it got to the point where Moses would spend so much time within the presence of God that he'd come down and his face would shine. It would glow from within. So much so that people said, dude, cover your face. You're, you're, it's weird. You're weirding us out. It's making us uncomfortable. But only Moses. The time of the kings and the prophets would come. And people would cry out, would that God would come down from the mountain. As the people traveled through the desert and, and they began to look towards the idea of kings and judges, God gave to them the commandments, the rules about building for themselves a temple, a tabernacle in the wilderness that was a shadow of the temple that would be built with, with stone and granite and marble, this, this permanent location. It turned out to not be so permanent on Temple Mount here in Jerusalem. But in the wilderness, they built this tent, this tabernacle, this massive structure that they would tear down, pack up, and carry to the next place and set up again. And within that, there was a courtyard where the people could gather. And within that was a temple where the, the men could go and worship and the rabbis would teach. And yet within that was a place called the Holy of Holies. And within that was a place reserved only for the high priest, where the Ark of the Covenant resided, a symbol of the presence and power of God. And God said that there I will allow my presence to reside, but only the high priest can come into the Holy of Holies. If anyone else were to come in, they would be struck down. They would be, they would be dead. There are stories of, of people defiling the Ark of the Covenant, touching it when they're not supposed to touch it, and being struck down by the power of God that is within that thing. Is God contained within that Ark of the Covenant? No. But he has allowed his presence to reside there in a powerful way so that the people may have a place that they know the presence of God is. But he's still metaphorically on the mountain. He is still not, as we just sang, God with us. And it's, it might be attractive to think, I wish I was Noah, the guy who heard the voice from God. I wish, I wish that I were Moses, the one who went to the mountain and heard the voice of God and, and saw God's finger come down from the clouds and etch the commands into the tablets of stone. But I thought about this this week. Ultimately, God did not want any person to again be the voice of God from the mountain. I don't know if you've ever traveled any place where you've gone into a, a super tall building. I've, I've been in some of the tallest buildings in the world. I've been um, uh, on mountaintops, you know, we're Alaskans, so we go hiking and climbing. We've been on mountaintops. Uh, we've done... Uh, zip lines over crazy high places. And it's cool. You get up there and you get this view that you don't see any other way. Right? Sometimes even like in the summer I'll get up to clean the, you know, the roof on my house. I'll get up to the highest point. I'll just stand there and look around because I can see things that I don't normally see. When we've gone up into some of those giant buildings and and taking the elevators up, and then sometimes you get to places where you have to climb stairs and get to the top, and, uh, 
towers like uh, the space needles and things that rocketed around the world, uh, Eiffel Tower, places like that. You get to the top of those and you look down and, and I'm struck by the landscape and the view that I have that I don't enjoy when I'm on the ground. But what are some of the things that we say when we do that? We look down and say, wow, look at all those people down there. They look like what? Ants, they're tiny. Sometimes when you're flying uh, in, in the plane, you know, and you're, you're crossing over landscape and you can look down and you can see cars on the freeways, lights in the distance, farms on the ground, people out working their fields, the crops with their different shapes and sizes. We gain a perspective, but that perspective is flawed from our real lives where we live down on the ground. And if we were to remain there, we would not enjoy then the company of those who remain on the ground. We would not enjoy the, the benefit of community that we enjoy living here where humans exist if we were to remain in those high places and on that mountain or in the sky removed from everyone else. I think it's a mistake to, to assume that someone like Moses necessarily enjoyed his position because by its nature it put him in a place where he, he saw things from a different perspective and it was actually a great favor. But God himself in his wisdom from the foundation of time intended to walk with us. Sin spoiled that relationship. But in time, in God's time, Frank Hannes had some more here. In time, in God's time, he knew that there would be a remedy and it would be the person of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to John chapter 1. take that metaphor of the mountaintop or the, the tower or standing in Rome on the seven hills there, looking out across the city. I can remember being there and looking out at all of the, the, the ancient ruins right next to the modern city. And you have this great view, but the life of the city was down at the bottom of the hill. It was down at the cafe. It was on the street corner, sitting at a, a cup of cappuccino for three and a half hours on an afternoon with nothing to do but sit and, and chat with one another and enjoy the time and, and, and let the time pass and no one cared what was happening. That's where the life was, was down in the streets where the people were. The view from the mountain was beautiful, but the life was down below. And people through all of the centuries where God was only on the mountain or in the Holy of Holies, long, long for a time when the Messiah would come and God would come down from the mountain to be among those who were living. We should not take for granted the great gift that God has given us in our time. Through Jesus Christ. What did it say here? In him, verse 4, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe in him, but that all might believe through him. He was not the light but he came to bear witness about the light. John, in this scenario, is just like Noah telling the people there's a flood coming. He's just like Moses leading the people out of Israel. He's just like Abraham telling the people that God has told me he's going to build a great nation. He's going to be from my descendants. It's, it's Jacob uh, being told that the nation of Israel is going to be established through his name. 
John the Baptist is still fulfilling that claimed position because the Messiah has not yet come. He is still being anticipated. People are still longing. He's in a time where the temple now sits on the mount in Jerusalem built out of hewn stone. It's massive. It's beautiful. It's ornate. And it has fulfilled all of the things that that wilderness tabernacle had in it, but it's in this permanent location. Yet still, only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies. And he is the voice of God to the people. And still the people long for God to be Emmanuel, to be with them. And John bears witness. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you see, the promise of the Messiah is even more than, than the presence of God to be with us. He comes with the intention to offer to us for our belief, adoption into the very family of God. His daughters and sons. Verse 14, and the word, remember the word that spoke creation, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Those are, wow. <laughs> what? Remember, John said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming who's going to baptize you with fire, and I am not worthy to untie his sandals. And so, that's John the Baptist. John the Apostle is writing to us here. He says, Now John the Baptist bore witness about him, the word, Jesus, and cried out, This is the guy. This is the one that I was talking about. He who comes after me, John the Baptist, ranks higher than I. Because he was before me. Now don't miss this. John the Baptist and Jesus are what? Samaria, Cousins, who was born first? John the Baptist. And yet John says, the one I'm talking about, the Word who created everything and became flesh was before me. John understands. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's been preparing the people. Verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. That is a confusing story. I don't think I can It is a passage that hints at the majesty of the Trinitarian nature of God. We know that in the Old Testament, <coughs> the prophet Elijah was, was harbored in the cleft of a mountain, and God said in response to Elijah's cry for, for validation, that God said, I will pass by, uh, don't come out too soon because you can't see me, but I will let you see my backside. 
that Jacob says that he saw God, but we also understand that the God that he saw was actually pre-incarnate Jesus, the one that he wrestled with. It was not that God. John is reinforcing this idea. What's missing from this component here, what's missing from this this equation here is the Holy Spirit who will come later in his manifestation to humanity. It's not that he hasn't been around, because he's also fully God, pre-existent. He's there in the Old Testament. We see him in the stories. We can go and pick them out, the places where he is, he is present and active. But John is saying, no one has ever seen God. This is Jehovah, Yahweh, the Father the only God who is at the Father's side is Jesus. Who sits at the right hand of the Father? Jesus. So it's, it's important to understand the structure here. No one has ever seen God. Yet the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. And so you see, even, even these early believers, these early theologians struggled with this concept of knowing the truth about Jesus and knowing the truth about the Father, knowing the truth about the Holy Spirit, that they are God and they are somehow one and yet they are somehow distinct and trying to put those into words that we can try and stuff into our little brains. And they struggled with it as well. But that should not give us, that should not make us worry. That should not bother us, it should actually encourage us to know that God is indeed great. I've said this to you many times. If we can if we can build a box in which we can put the totality of God, I'm not sure how much of a God he is. He must have mystery. He must be more than I can contain. Because if he's not more than I can contain, I think that ultimately leads to the idea that I am God. What does this give to us today? Why does this matter to us today? It matters in a couple of ways. One, like I said, we should be grateful. We should not take for granted the gift that God has given us because we now enjoy a relationship with Christ and then the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. Remember, we talked about this in the last several weeks when we were talking about the Holy Spirit. But the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given us is that those who believe, every single one of us receives the Holy Spirit to live within us, with us at all times. Something that was not available before Christ's ascension. Jesus said, I'm going to send a comforter to you, and, and this is a new thing. I go, he will come to you. Don't take that for granted because we live in a time where thousands of generations before us did not enjoy that communion. Be thankful. Another way that it can help us today to know these things about Jesus, to know about the anticipation that those had those had before Christ came and all those generations, those centuries of wishing that there was a Messiah and hoping that the Messiah would come, anticipating that he would one day arrive. That we, when we face trials, when we face struggles, when we face uh, difficulties in our lives, decisions that we need to make, um, questions about our lives and, and the world around us, we have a direct link speak to God and allow His Spirit to speak back to us. In times of old, people had to go and hear from the priest, even to confess their sin. He would go on their behalf to confess their sin. But we have, the Bible says, we have a mediator standing with us right now at all times with us in the Father. And He is not only is He there for us, but He is constantly making appeals on our behalf. 
so that we can be seen by God the Father as true, righteous, even blessed. So when we face struggle, when we face trials, when we face difficulties, uncertainties, tiredness, um, depression, and I'm not talking in a clinical sense, you guys know what we believe about that. If you need to get medical help, we encourage you to do that. But don't leave God out of your physical health or your mental health. He's with you. Seek him in times of trouble. And he will be with you. And lastly, ultimately three of us today certainly encourage us because we have uh, we have this direct conduit. We can encourage us because we we have uh, a gift that was reserved for this time and not given to those previously. And then finally us because as we live in a world that seems to be uh, careening into more and more ungodliness and, and pushing away the idea of God, and not even just a Christian God, but in many ways just God period, right? That there's, that there's anything larger, that, there, that there's any greater power, that there's anything bigger than humanity and the cosmos, that it's just, we're just dust and dirt and bits and bites, and that's it. So if we're not even talking about a Christian world, we're living in a, in a world that, that, that progressively and successively just wants to push away any idea that humanity and the world is something greater than just its parts. Not really. Did you see that? They all went off at the same time. We can't even do that with the remote. We have to like punch it like five times a day. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's a sign. On this table? No. So even though, okay, all right. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> oh, you did, all right. third thing, the third way it helps us. Help me, Jesus. Those who came before us only had the anticipation. Those who came before us did not enjoy the communion with God that would, that would be helpful to us in times of trouble. Still today, there are those who are walking in darkness. In many ways, in the are pursuing darkness. And we will receive the light. He is the light of the world that shines among humanity. My friends, take heart. Because the darkness And let's sing together. All of it actually great.
cada versão. Budget meeting, um, which is an incredible blessing, and, uh, and we love it because if you've been in prison here, that wasn't always the case. But we really do encourage you to at least look and be familiar with what uh, is happening with the funds that you give so generously. Um, we have an open book on that. Everything is transparent. And we fully trust you and you to be blessed by your generosity. Folks, go be blessed. We love you. What a great morning. So good to be here with you.